Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Morning, everybody. <clears throat> Happy Labor Day. Hey, grab your message notes, if you will. Look like this. If you don't have them, I want to encourage you to go access them in the back. Uh, we have some 905ers here. Welcome to our one Sunday. Good to see you all. You can, or the 855ers, you can open your phone to Uversion and grab all the message notes there as well. Let me pray for us. It's so good to be together, Lord. It's so good to be reminded of your grace that is amazing. It can be visible, that is visible to be reminded regardless of what we bring into this building and the accusations, spiritual accusations our enemy would be accusing us of, hounding us with, your grace is greater. It's the first day of the week. And what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, you have prepared for those of us who love you. It's so good to be together around your word, around worship, to see the gifts employed as the church gathers. What a gift we have. We want to leverage this, Lord. This is a means to a greater end that our peninsula and the world would know this grace and have their lives changed by it. So we pray in these next minutes together that you would speak to our hearts, guide us. May the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. We pray in Christ's name. And everyone said? Amen. Smile at someone and say, here we go. So last summer, my niece graduated from Cambridge University, and uh, her dad died 16 years ago. I made a commitment to be there for every significant event of her life. So our family uh, went out to Europe, and prior to being at Cambridge for that graduation, we went to France and visited one of the greatest cathedrals in the world. We saw magnificent art. We saw incredible, majestic architecture. We even saw religious ritual taking place. I spent 30 minutes, though, outside the patio of Notre Dame in the heat, watching hundreds of people wait in line, actually watching with jealousy, <laughs> hundreds of people waiting in line to enter a church, streaming through massive front doors of the cathedral, which took almost 200 years to build that building. They entered beneath that breathtaking floral stained glass, which, thank God, was saved in the fire, under gorgiles, uh, gargoyles, Look at it then from almost 100 feet above. This was an intergenerational, multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic gathering of people from all over the world this church was attracting people. But I also saw people come out, awestruck, engaging with each other, appreciative for sure, but for the most part, unchanged. One thing was blatantly missing from my vantage point, watching from the patio, transform lives. Now contrast that cathedral with this Burlingame living room. In 1951, it wasn't hundreds, it was just 22 followers of Jesus Christ coming together in Burlingame with a big ask 
They had no clergy. They had no buildings. They had even no defined strategy. They had no pastor. But they just had faith that the peninsula needed a different kind of church back then. And they had faith to see into the vision and implant a DNA into what this church would be like. A church that wouldn't open its doors and just hope people would come to them, but a church that would go to the people. And for four weeks, we're focusing on rebooting that original, original vision and catalyzing us with the same passion those people had in that Berlin game living room. Now, we're looking at Acts 11, I think the greatest church in the New Testament, a church that was founded and met in Antioch and asking ourselves, what's it gonna take to empower the generations to passionately, that's a key phrase, follow Christ one home at a time? We have a holy hunch as the leadership of PCC, I mean that by unpaid and paid staff, that if you prioritize four things in your life around this community, gathering, growing, giving, and going, you will step into the best version of yourself and together we will best live into the vision that God put in the hearts of those 22 people that we're actually living out today. So last week we saw from the Antioch church they prioritized gathering. It wasn't just when it was convenient, it was their priority to gather. It was their lifeline. We talked about the city of Antioch and how it was founded in 400 BC by Greeks and Syrians. They hated each other and they founded this city uh, with an external wall to protect it and then an internal wall to divide it. And never did they cross the wall because they were warring and hated each other. By the time the early church got there, there wasn't one wall that divided it. There were 18 different sections in this city from 18 different ethnic groups that hated each other. It, this was the ground from which the greatest church, I believe, most influential church in the New Testament was founded. And men and women scaled walls and, and broke through walls to gather as one community. And they put their political and earthly ideologies down to gather for a kingdom ideology. Jesus is Lord. You read Acts 11, 12, 13, and you count the number of times the word Lord appears in there. That lordship of Christ meant everything, not just for the church, but for the city and for the world. We're still living out that today. We said last week, Christ was exalted and walls were crumbled. And is there not that need in our country today? Christ to be exalted, walls to be crumbled. So gathering's gotta be a priority, that's last week. But there's a big difference between attending church or entering a church and following Jesus. That's why we're talking about the second priority now, grow, grow. Everyone say grow. How do you measure growth? Uh, we have a measurement in our family. My wife's mother, we call her Granny Bird. Some of you know Granny Bird who went to Israel. Uh, she's our, their last living grandparent and she has a, that's not Granny Bird, by the way. It's a stock photo. I couldn't get Granny Bird to fix her in quick. But she, on her door jam, maybe like many of you, has these, and we never had this growing up, but I learned this meeting Anne. Uh, in her door jam, she has a growth chart where she's penciled in the year and the height of each one of her eight grandchildren and children. My, my favorite is uh, Anne's grandmother, so Granny Bird's mother-in-law, over three years diminished in height three inches. It's awesome. So imagine you enter Granny Bird's room 
uh, her house in North Carolina, and you see Isabella's height, my 17-year-old, her height 10 years ago. And you see her height today, and it hasn't changed a bit. Imagine you come to us and go, what's going on? What's wrong? And Anna and I look at you and say, what do you mean what's wrong? Your daughter hasn't grown one bit in the last seven years. Adolescence, teenage years, these are the times that people sprout from childhood to adulthood. And your daughter hasn't changed a bit. And imagine if Ann and I look at you and go, and what's wrong with that? Imagine the, the disproportionate alarm, or not disproportionate, but you would have a sense of alarm. We don't have an alarm, and you're thinking we're crazy. At that point, you call Child Protective Services and report us. So why is it we can have horror or some sort of shock over that scenario, but when it comes to our spiritual growth, we don't apply the same principles or expectations? Why is it somehow it's just okay to plateau spiritually and be the same person you've been for the last 10 years? That might be okay in churches. I wonder if that's okay from God's perspective. I wonder just as a dad of five daughters where I expect growth from my girls, if God in heaven doesn't look at us and go, I want you to grow so badly to fill out the image of my son Jesus Christ. What I'm trying to get to us is growth is an expectation on God's part. Not only an expectation, he has provided the means for growth. So what's your door jam? Where is your metaphorical door jam that you measure your growth? And how's your growth going these days? I don't ask that question to point a finger. I ask that question to actually disarm you and me so we could be open to the fact that God wants us to grow. God is committed to growth. You'll hear this a little later. I might as well say it now. No one is more committed to you growing as a follower of Christ. You ready? Than God. He is all in, but somehow he gives us some responsibility. And I don't know where the measure is. It's mystery to me, but we're going to unpack that in this next 20 minutes together. Acts 11.23 says this. When Barnabas arrived, I love how Peter highlighted this, he saw grace. He saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and he encouraged. The word encouraged there means to implore, to exhort, to urge. This isn't just rah-rah. This is, wait, stop. You've got to do this. Okay? That's the heart of Barnabas. It's the heart of God for you and me. What did he encourage them to do? All to remain true to the Lord with half-hearted devotion. It's not what it says. Something was burning in Barnabas so much, and it was this. We've got to be all in with the Lord. So what is growth? Look at the big idea on page one. Spiritual growth is a combination of God's grace and our grit. I actually should have changed this and put God's grace in all caps, 24-point font, our grit in 12-point font, not bold, not caps. God initiates, sustains, but somehow, my friends, I've tried to get around this. I can't biblically. Try and email me. I, I would love to change the sermon if I'm wrong. Somehow, God gives us some responsibility in growing, and I'm calling that grit. Grit. 
So let's unpack this. God, growth is a combination of God's grace. Let's go back to Acts eleven twenty three. Why don't we just read it again and again and again? It's a great verse. When he arrived and saw, here it is, he saw what the grace of God had done. What does that look like? What did he see? The average person speaks about 16,000 words a day. And if you're one of my daughters, it's 20,000 words a day. That's 112,000 words a week. Nearly 6 million words a year. That is a lot of talking. I propose if you scan the whole human vocabulary and all those millions of words, grace would be at the top for the most beautiful word in the universe. Because God's grace is the most powerful force in the universe. So I'd argue, of course, it's the most beautiful word in the universe. Grace reaches you where you are and takes you where God wants you to be. Grace has the power to do something nothing else has the power to do to transform us at the core of who we are, at our heart, from the inside out. Grace, however, is one of the most overused words in the church. And so we've diminished it and squeezed its jaw-dropping ah out of it. We talk as though we understand the term, right? Bank gives us a grace period. Pastors and politicians fall from grace. Musicians speak of grace notes. We describe actresses as gracious, a dancer as graceful. We use the word for hospitals, girls' names, kings, queens, pre-meal pre prayers. We act as if we know what grace means. But do we really? Look at page two and the definition I put in there. Grace is a one-time gift of forgiveness and a lifetime gift of God's presence. Grace pulls us into the family of God when we've never deserved it. It's the gift that says, you can't earn my family, but I will give you through the cross what you could never earn. And then grace is a lifetime gift of God's presence. Look at these verses, everybody. Let's see how grace is displayed in its power. John 1.14, it's what, it's what makes God unique. He is a gracious God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's Jesus. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Now look at this. This is jaw-dropping to the original readers. No other God in the religious systems has this character full of grace and full of truth. That's radical. That's why in John 8, God could catch someone who was sexually immoral and say to her, is no one else condemning you? Neither do I condemn you. That's full of grace. But go and sin no more. That's full of truth. This is our God, my friends. Grace was a favorite word for Paul. He mentioned it almost 216 times. Paul is the most prolific New Testament author. Look at this verse, everybody. Look at the power of grace. I want us to camp out here for a little bit. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's the first part of our definition. One-time gift of forgiveness. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to who? All people. I love that. It, being grace, teaches us what? Oh yeah, Paul says. Grace is not only this fluffy idea of salvation, it's actually a teacher, it's a mentor, it's a proctor, it, it guides you. 
What does it teach us to do? It's so powerful, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Can anyone use that kind of teaching? Am I the only one? I need that. I will tell you I'm the only one, okay? Thank you, Leslie. Leslie and I need that. We're two of us. Great. <laughs> Just keeping it real, okay? Uh, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And not only that, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Who wants to have that kind of person as their neighbor? Yeah. Who wants to be married if God calls you to marriage to that kind of person? Who's praying for those kind of kids to come out of your home? How does that happen? Paul says grace does. In other words, Paul's saying two things if you're taking notes. One, grace is powerful. That's power. No one is more committed to your spiritual growth than God. He's given you the mechanism to grow spiritually through his grace. But you know what I learned reading this passage? Grace is powerful. I want you to know this too. Grace is opposed. Grace is opposed. See, there's a force in our culture. We call it around here. The Bible calls it sin. And the issue with sin is not only that it's bad or it's naughty. The issue with sin is it leaves us not only guilty, it leaves us impotent. Sin keeps me from being the pastor I want to be, from being the father I want to be, from being the neighbor I want to be, from being the child of God I want to be. Sin dehumanizes me and it cripples my ability to be who I was created and intended to be. So grace is powerful, but grace is opposed. And in grace, God gives us the only thing that can help me when I'm opposed, himself. His Holy Spirit steps inside of me at the core and grace upon grace gives me access to the very means and power to push back the opposition. But what good is grace if it's not accessed? What good is grace if it's not accessed? Uh, last night, or yesterday I was at the Stanford game and um, we had tickets. We met a family at a family camp this summer, and uh, the woman works in development for Stanford, and so they're an adoptive family, an international adoptive family, an African international adoptive family like we are, and so we just had a connection and been getting together, and so we said, let's go to the Stanford game. They had a special where you buy an adult ticket, you get four tickets free, and, and then she wrote and said, hey, no one's using the development ticket, so come with us, and we were literally on the 50-yard line. Uh, it was beautiful. Um, without giving a dime to Stanford, we were even on the 50s. All these other people who have given a lot of money to Stanford. So anyway, so they, uh, we, we always go to the pregame stuff. It, it's called the fan frenzy, I think. And, and Jojo and, and little Everett were playing. He's from Uganda. And, and it was so fun. And, and we were hungry, right? The kickoff's at one. And the band goes marching in the stadium. We're going, oh, my gosh, we got to get in there. And Ann goes, I'll go to a food truck and get food. And so she goes, and we go in the stadium. And, and I'm, did I tell you I was hungry? Yeah, I was really hungry, and, uh, and so we're in the stadium, and Ann comes in carrying this little paper pouch with, with little um, corn dog bites <laughs> that were cold, and she says they were sold out on food, so they just gave me, I kid you not, there were four french fries and three corn dog bites, <laughs> and that was my meal. About the third quarter in this, I'm still hungry. Now, meanwhile, I can go buy food, right, but I'm too cheap. Uh, my host, 
uh, and her husband look at their, their ticket. It's not a ticket. We had a plastic card. I mean, a huge placard around our neck. It wasn't that big. It was like that. And uh, she goes, oh, my gosh, I forgot to tell us. We have access to the best eating in the whole stadium for free. She goes, I'll go first with my husband, and then we'll come back. They were up there for a whole quarter. <laughs> By the time they came back, the game was almost over. But I was like, what did you eat? They're like, oh, we had steak. We had wine. I, they, I kid you not, it's like, we were eating with George Schultz. This is the George Schultz who's been under three presidents. And, and meanwhile, all I've eaten is a stupid little corn dog bite. And then she says to me, by the way, your ticket could have got you in there as well. What good was it for me to have access to the greatest food in the stadium if I never accessed the greatest food in the stadium? I left that stadium hungry. They left full. What was the difference? We both had access. They accessed it. I didn't. My brothers and sisters, I am telling you the greatest force of the universe, if you follow Christ and call yourself a Christian, is inside you. But what good is it if you don't access it? How do we access that? Look at page three. Through grit. Through grit. Somehow God gives us responsibility for growth. And I, I know it's all him, but somehow there's some responsibility we have. Look where I get this. Acts, let's start here again. Acts 11, 23. When he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad, who wouldn't be, and encouraged them all to, now here's the grit part. He encouraged them all. This is the next to remain true is an active verb, which means you have responsibility in this to remain true to the Lord with all your heart. Grit, energy, exertion. I don't like words like that necessarily because it's about to get really uncomfortable in here and I don't like uncomfortable. But I'm realizing I'll never grow unless things get uncomfortable in my own spiritual life. See, in my home, I like comfort. It's why I have an artificial climate called a heater in my home. Some of you, when you walked in this room, were bummed that we didn't have an artificial climate called an air conditioner in this room. I can literally turn on the lights of my home, right? I can even do it from my watch right now and turn on my heater to a certain temperature right now. I can even turn on my espresso machine from my watch right now. That's how much I like comfort. I don't want to get up at 5 a.m. and have to walk down the stairs and push a button to turn on an espresso machine. I want to I even have it programmed. I don't even have to touch the button anymore. It just automatically happens. We like comfort. Am I the only one? Does anyone else like comfort? Okay, good. Thank you. I feel affirmed. But my challenge is my world is so comfortable that oftentimes, it, I'm just talking about me, it bleeds over into my spiritual life and I let comfort be the limit of my obedience when it comes to walking with Christ. Uh, we have a lot of immorality in our culture. We even have some in the church, which is fine, that we're human. But you know what I think the greatest immorality in the church is? Pace. We're so busy. 
And so when I meet with women and men and we talk about spiritual growth, often what times comes back to me is this, I don't have time for that. Hey, I want to really encourage you to put Christ first in your day. And that means, I mean this, like get up. I'm, this is a fictitious conversation. Get up uh, 15 minutes early and give 1% of your day to the Lord in prayer and in Bible reading and meditation and go from there. I, I, don't, I don't have time for that. Hey, I want to encourage you. Uh, this is what comes back to me all the time. And I feel like this too. It's so hard talking about an area of obedience. And I'll go, well, who promised you it would be easy? One of my favorite marriage books, the title is called this, So What Did You Expect? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like putting that in our spiritual life. What did you expect? Jesus promised in this world we'd have trouble. Jesus promised we'd be opposed. Jesus promised we'd be swimming upstream against a strong current that wants to, like every dead fish, take us downstream. And we think it's tough and say, well, it's so hard as if that's an excuse to keep us from growing. I'm not judging, but I'm asking us to consider, what did you expect? I get the word grit from uh, Dr. Angela Lee Duckworth. She's a professor at the University of Penn. This summer I watched uh, one of the most popular TED Talks out there. It's only seven minutes long. It's worth watching. She has since written a whole book on it that's a New York Times bestseller called Grit. She studied uh, everyone from West Point cadets to National Spelling Bee contestants to rookie teachers in difficult schools. She used to be a teacher herself. And each study, her team asked, who is successful here and why? And beyond the um, initial and obvious things of IQ and EQ, she unearthed a quality in successful people that until she gave a language to it hadn't been unearthed, the word grit. It, she said it was the most significant predictor of success, stronger than intelligence, emotionally and intellectually. I define grit here, a passion and perseverance for every long-term goal, a passion and perseverance for every long-term goal. And somehow God gives us grace, but I'm proposing to you somehow, if you're going to grow in anything, if you don't identify as a follower of Christ, you're so welcome here. I'm glad you're here. Apply this to any field or characteristic that matters to you. You don't have grit, you'll never grow. Now, let's look at this spiritually. Let me defend this biblically, because my words don't matter. The Word of God does what? The work of God. So let's see what it says. 1 Corinthians 15. Let's see how Paul used grace and grit, okay? Is everyone with me? Happy Labor Day. Here we go. We've got to work a little bit on Labor Day weekend. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Who can raise a hand and testify to that? Yeah, me too. His grace to me, though, he says, was not without effect. no. What's the next three words? I worked harder. That's grit. Paul said, grace came, I met it with grit. But look how he didn't even know the interchange. This is the apostle Paul. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Do you see Paul's interchange with grace and grit? This is not the first time you've seen this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Let's go to Philippians 2 and let's look at this. Paul says to the church, Work hard. What? Paul, where's grace? No, I know. I'm all for grace, Paul would say to the Philippian church and to us. But if you want to grow spiritually, 
get to work. Oh, I thought that's the God of grace. You're being legalistic, Paul. Oh, I'm not being legalistic. I'm just telling you, the only way to grow is to exert. You know that. And we have a whole fitness center. My fitness pastor's right here. We have a whole fitness center that says, you know, you got to change something to change something. And we, we call people, Mike, you're in the fitness department too. It's swimming. The aquatics pastor, Mike's right there. That if you don't exert yourself, you're never going to grow physically and spiritually. So Paul says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, not to earn the results of your salvation, to show them, right? Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, that's grace, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Grace and grit. Grace and grit. So what does that mean for us? We gotta land this plane. Let me ask you a question. What are you wrestling with right now where you feel like during my message, the Holy Spirit's been talking to you, calling you to gritty obedience? Where do you feel convicted, not condemned, convicted towards gritty obedience? It could be a character issue, a habit, a hang-up. What is it for you? We want to give you one application that I think will help all of us. I want to invite you. We talked about prioritizing gather. And if you're going to prioritize grow, we want to say to all of us that I believe growth happens better in groups. Growth happens better in groups. Or as we've said around here, circles are better than what? Rows. Circles are better than rows. Everything you want in gathering on a Sunday happens so much better in a group. This has been a habit of mine for, um, oh my gosh, really since coming to Christ, but since I've been at this church, most Tuesday mornings, early in the morning, I meet with a circle of brothers, like-minded brothers, intergenerational, 30-year gap of everyone in that circle. But it's the place where I can, and we can, lay down our armor and be real. Where grace is exchanged, but truth is exchanged too. Where perspective is given, where I'm going to pray for you is given, and accountability is given. Things you just can't get in a group this size. See, everything you long for here, I'll say it again, that we long for here, happens way better in a circle where we're known. And so I'm going to invite you, encourage you. I even, as Paul put it, implore you and urge you in Acts 11:23, Try a group. If you've never done a group, try it this fall. Just give us a nine-week experiment. Here's what I can guarantee if we prioritize growth God's way. It's on the bottom of page three. And I think we all want this. We can break free from our past. We can have our future changed. Bad habits can be broken. There are men and women in this room who have been chained. You heard Ian sing about it. We love that. My chains fell off. Uh, I am free. We've had men in this room who have been chained by sin and by a past who are free today. How did that happen? Prioritizing growth in a group. Your image of God can be healed. Your image of yourself, it's called identity, can be healed. You can make an internal impact through the prioritization of groups. So this fall, we're doing this. You heard uh, it talked about 
chasing David. We're going to focus on the life of David this fall. We're joining about six other churches up and down the peninsula doing this together. It's, it's actually a great thing. And in September, you'll hear more about this. We kick it off September 22nd. But we'll have Chasing David groups. Uh, you'll have individual daily devotionals texted to you if you want those, where for two minutes you can get a daily spur around David and what you learned that week. Um, and, and you can have a personal devotional to go through. These are for sale for 10 bucks. You go on Amazon, get it on your Kindle for 10 bucks. We want to encourage you, prioritize a group. And like Peter said, if you don't want to text grow, you can just open this card, uh, this orange card, and just give us your name, your email, and put the word group on there. And we'll plug you into a group. Friends, rooms change the world. An upper room before Christ died, where he had a discourse with 11 men, changed the world. An upper room where the Holy Spirit fell, and about 30 followers of Christ, men and women, and the church was born, changed the world. A room in Antioch that we have no idea where it was, but that church didn't have a building, they met in a home, changed the world. A room in Burlingame in 1951 is still having a ripple effect that's changing the world. This is important, gather, but get in a room, in a group, and let's see the world change again. Amen? Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your word. Thank you so much for your grace that not only gives us entry, the gift of salvation, but Lord, sustains us. Father, we don't want to be hearers of the word today. We need your grace to be doers. I want to give you 30 seconds and step out of this sermon and just pastor to people. I want to ask you, what will be your application from today? Where will you apply grit because of God's grace? Could be that 1% challenge. God, I'm, I'm going to just take 14 minutes and start my day with you. Could be getting in a group. Could be confessing some sin. I don't know what it is for you, but don't leave here without solidifying what the Holy Spirit has convicted you of and encouraged you towards. Remember, no one's more committed to your growing than God is. And that's part of the, the commitment to let you know, here's what you do, here's how you guide, here's what I do. To God, we're all in. We want to commit to remain true with all our hearts. We can't do that on our own. No one here can do that. We need your grace. But we're all in. It starts with the yieldedness on our part. Use us. Fill us. Overwhelm us. For your glory. For the good of this peninsula and the world. And all God's people said... Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.